I need your arms around me. I need to feel your touch. Guestbook Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you're well out there. We're coming to you live from Union Inn, 1112 and 1114 3rd Street, Northeast, Washington, D.C. Steps in Omega Gallaudet Metro. Brief walk to Union Station and a leisurely jog to the Capitol in Capitol Hill. We have two guests who stayed with us twice in the last week. Thissera Pinto and Leela Dunn. They are a film director and film producer, respectively, both with Spectral Inc. Films. They've come to D.C. both times to film a very special documentary that they're doing right now. We'll get into that. But first, why do we pick this song? First off, what is this song? It's called Never There by Cake. Okay. I'm, uh... I love Cake. They're just... Because of the subject matter that we're dealing with, Cake's such a simple and fun thing to go with that just brings a different side of me. It's like he doesn't even sing. He's just talking, like, monotone. It's fun, but it's also got this, like, subtext of serious issues in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Thissera, you're originally from Mauritius, right? Yep. It's funny, in our pre-talk, I was asking him, okay, what's the city and the state? He's like, Mauritius. (laughs) Yeah, it's an island that's, uh, from the center of the island to the coast, it's 15 minutes, pretty much, and a small road that shows you how small it is. Mm -hmm. And when I describe it, I just say it's where the Dodo Bird is from. It's the only uh, part of the world that the Dodo Bird ever existed. Hmm. Okay. And... Leela, you we have on here Chico, California, but more recently you spent a lot of time overseas. Yes, I did. I went to about thirty different countries. It's crazy. Tell us about that journey from when you left America. Like, what, what prompted you to want to leave America? So, I've always known that I've wanted to travel. I was raised in a different tradition than most of my peers. And I went to India with my father when I was eight. So from a very young age, even not really fully understanding that, I knew that there was a vastly different experience that was being had by people in another place. And that was something that I knew I always wanted to explore. And I knew that I always cared about people and the human experience. I just didn't really know exactly what that would look like. So when I left, I first started by traveling and doing work exchanges and volunteering and then I taught English and it just kept getting more and more in tune with my skill set so in the last year that I traveled I was in the Middle East and I was working at refugee camps Um, I worked in refugee camps in Lebanon and Palestine and Serbia um, and also in Greece and that that was kind of at that point, I'd been gone for about five years, and so I decided that it would be time to st- spend some time in the States again and spend some time with community, with my family, with my friends, and Instead, see. here you are with me. And instead, <laughs> here I am working on this documentary with Isra. How long have you been back in the States now? I've been back in the States. That's kind of hard to say. I feel like COVID has <laughs> disrupted my, my idea of how time how time flies, but... Probably two years at this point. Okay. And when you came back, you immediately went into being a film producer? Not immediately. I came back, and for the first year that I was back, I spent a lot of time focusing on relationships. 
I was, I, I lived out of my van actually for about a year in California. I even started paying rent. I had, I had a room in Portland, but I wasn't quite ready to give up the, the traveling lifestyle. And so I was mostly living out of my van and visiting different friends and family. I watched some people's farms for them and mm. was kind of doing like odds and ends jobs here and there. I also do art and sell art. So I was able to kind of make a living and rekindle a lot of those relationships that I hadn't been able to be as present for when I was abroad. Okay. Not this or you're a film director, but you've only been a film director relatively recently. Before that, you were an engineer, correct? Yeah, I did my master's in engineering. Oh, wow. Um, I I grew up in Mauritius, and in Mauritius, being a struggling artist is a whole new level of struggling, right? I mean, it's with a tiny island and whatnot. So, um, you know, I did, I did, I did engineering. I did my master's in engineering, and, um, and then I got a job in Portland. And after that, and I saw the Portland's got a great entrepreneurial culture and a, um, and an art and a culture of art and artists, and that was very tempting. And so I quit my job and got a job at Starbucks for. Uh, about three months and I've been full-time since as you really went off on your own yeah I mean you know sometimes you gotta what I felt like I did was like if you if you really want to get somewhere you just need to jump off a cliff to get there (laughs) with the risks and everything involved otherwise you just never know where where you'll end up you know yeah 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 now how long were you an engineer before you made the leap um from 2004 till 2017 or 18. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. you've been doing that for quite some time. Yeah. Okay. And was it something, some of it like an epiphany, like immediately, like one day you just woke up or something, you had a life experience that was like, I can't do this anymore? No. Some, some of those building I, up over time. It's, it's, I mean, if I look back at my history of engineering, I, I've, I've always been a little astray, you know? And um, directing came through not just wanting to be an artist as much as portraying my experiences through art. It wasn't something like, oh, hey, let me try this or let me try that. It's just naturally, I think, with the media, medium these days and and social media and there's a responsibility towards, like, conveying stories and opinions and I feel like I had something to say. I was curious, what is the difference between a film director and a film producer? So a film director puts everything together and it's very similar to being a systems engineer actually. A systems engineer, which I was, knows 70% of everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jack of all trades. But then you need the other components to put everything together. I mean, in terms of producer, um, logistics, um, interviews, producers make things work. Right. I mean, they they are a certain foundation for the director to work within. And so having a good team where there's a cohesive synergy between the director and the producer definitely helps the the story to come to life. Let's talk about the film. So originally, if I remember you telling me about it correctly, it started with you all gathering film in Portland during the 
I mean, post George Floyd. Right. Um, it was actually just me with a camera <laughs> on the second day of the protest in Portland. Okay. Now, when did that start? It was on the 25th of May. Okay. That's when, actually, it was on the, I think it was the 28th of May, actually, that I went down to Portland. Okay. So, um, I mean, I've I've fought a lot to stay in Portland, personally. I, I, I love the city. It's the first place I really felt like home in. And so when, you know, things are burning down, and, and honestly, the, the first thing that really struck me was when the third precinct in Minneapolis was burning down. I'm like, this is history. I need to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember talking to the filmmakers that I worked with at the time, like, hey, man, like, let's go down there. Nobody wanted to go. And that kind of um, pissed me off, so to speak. Like, you know, like, if you're a filmmaker, this is where you need to be. So I just went with my camera and filmed day after day. In Minneapolis or in Portland? In Portland. Okay. But, I mean, seeing that vision... Okay, so visual. that yeah, you saw that visual and like I gotta cover what's right. happening. Right, and here. I mean they they're rocking into the Apple Store and a bu- like bunch of things were on fire, cars were on fire in Portland, and all that was going on, and um, and then through that I think I was documenting it on Instagram, I believe a little bit here and there on my story, and kind of putting some feelers out to Leela here and there. <laughs> this this was at the same time that I was running the homeless, uh, the homeless shelters. Right. As he was trying to get me involved in this project, I was like, "Man, I, I've I've got full time things going on already," and um, so I I brushed it to the side for for but, a little while. But I'm relentless, you know. He's <laughs> pretty relentless, and and eventually, I I said yes to coming down and and scoping it out, and we had our first round of interviews, and after that, I. I don't even think we talked about it after that. I think it was just sort of understood that... I normally take everything to be a given once I, you know... I mean, we, we just knew, but we after after we had the interviews, we we knew how important it was, and I don't... I think it kind of went without saying, and... No, I totally... I, I think... I think... I think... Deep down, I knew that when she saw what I saw, knowing her background, she'd be in it. There's, there's, there was no question... And then after we met Eric, our executive producer, and we showed him what we had, he saw the need for Lita to go full-time. And since then, she's been full-time as a producer. And yeah, we haven't stopped. Okay. So just so I understand, you were already working with Spectral Films at the time. That's my production company. Okay. Got you. Okay. And Eric is, I guess, a partner with you in that production company? Eric's our executive producer. Mm -hmm. And... He's the executive producer of the film that we were, the documentary series we're working on. Okay. And um, I had initially thought of doing something small that was not of the scope that it is now, mm-hmm. you know, which is now a documentary series. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to discover. I wasn't aiming at one thing or another. But then once I saw these nuances of the issues that I was seeing and reading up on, that, that really got me interested in... Uh, black history and American history and all this stuff in the, in the books. I mean, honestly, today I bought like four books, two, <laughs> two at the bookstore and two on Amazon. All right. I can't tell you about that one. Were these all uh, suggestions by Joe and Q? Um, yeah, a couple of more. Yeah. And the, sure. and the bookstore that we, we did visit the, the bookstore that they recommended at, uh, Bridge uh, street, right? Yeah. 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 We went to Bridge street. 
And I love the place. If we, yeah, if I uh, lived closer or had any more room in my suitcases, I probably would have purchased a lot more. I mean, when we left, as it I was, was like, I was like, okay, two books. I can, I can find a way to fit two books. But <laughs> no doubt, yeah, we'll, shout we'll be to back. Yeah, you know, when we left, I was like, Are you ready to go? And she's like, no. And I'm like, me neither. <laughs> shout to Q Xavier, a uh, frequent guest on the podcast. Had him on, I think, three times, and we actually recorded another episode um, a few months back at his place for his upcoming podcast. So. Shout out to Q, definitely intelligent brother. And shout out to Joe, don't know his last name, uh, but he works at uh, Bridge Street Books. Uh, and he's extremely knowledgeable. This is Bridge Street Books over in Georgetown. So if you happen to come to D.C. and you're looking for a very good bookstore with a very good bookkeeper, if you will, <laughs> definitely check out Bridge Street and say what's up to Joe. Uh, all right. So, phenomenal but, guy. Yeah, Just super phenomenal. Super, super learned. Like, he's A+. plus. So... Back to the the documentary. So I know that you're, it's like a moving target, the direction of where the film is going to go. Where are you right now? So if it's a 360 degree view, I think we've narrowed it down to a good 45, <laughs> you know, which is a great feat in itself. Mm-hmm. And once in a while, the 45 will go to 50 or 60. We'll come back down to 45. And so that's just how we approach it and and even the end product will probably be like a 15 to a 20 you know Mm -hmm. because there's no way you can just pinpoint it and say this is it so are you looking for the most interesting story we're looking for the story that drive that makes sense and drives the narrative that connects everything right the tested and proven and and talking amongst ourselves and and talking to people about our views. So if we if we about learn something, why why these protests are happening? Not just the protests. It's not really not, now. Even though we call it the protest documentary as yeah. a code word. Well, I say protest because it's more so the um, the symptom as opposed sure. to the actual illness. It's it's and there's a cause and effect, right? Yeah, I'm saying yeah. we're seeing the protests because of underlying issues. Right, and and that's a, really the effect, and and the and protests the, are the effect. Effect. Yeah, and the cause is what we re- and the cause is so deep rooted in American history and culture and correct, and that is what we're that's that's a big, big target. So if we're looking at the protests as a tree, the protests would be the limbs and the leaves, but the roots go real deep correct are you looking to diagram that entire tree what we're trying to do is the entire root system of that tree we it's so if you take it as a web you can't build that whole web in a movie but you can pinpoint the connecting dots that that you know the junction so to speak we can't i don't think anybody can really portray that web in a way that's going to do justice to every nuance of every facet of everything but we want to give it a enough of a construction that has not been done before and enough of a foundation where it's not been done before where actually joe put it as in we want to make something that after us after our time's over somebody else can pick up from where we left off and carry that on forward and that is a monumental task. Is it possible that where you may settle on is 
one root system very detailed no i think i think that that has been done so much in other documentaries you get you have so many documentaries that talk about one category of one thing you know and people look at it and they say huh that's interesting that's a good documentary and then they move on we want to paint a bigger picture where we have those connections where you can go and find and read more about it because we can't do justice to every facet of everything but when you have the junctions you can draw connect the dots and paint the web right and that's what we want to do now your team is bigger than just you two correct right within your team do you have people who self-identify as having a viewpoint that's similar to say black lives matter and then someone else who has a viewpoint that is more similar with identifying with the law enforcement side I, I I think from a from a more shallow perspective that might have been true in the beginning mm-hmm. now that's not what we see as much as we have more of a political divide in terms of the way we see things and with the way we approach things mm-hmm. a good human being is a good human being right um now like now I think we see things for what they are but at the same time when we decipher it we can bring in our own viewpoints in terms of how we translate it and so it's not that polarized within the team not not even in terms of battle in, there's, there's not much debate goes on as much as um, while the director has creative control if he doesn't trust his producers that's a problem yeah, right? no, I understand. And I mean, I, I think there's a difference in the way that we conceptualize that too, because I wouldn't agree with what he just said. I feel like there is a constant debate, and not not in a way where our team isn't working fluidly and concisely with each other, but in the way where we do we do bring different ideas and sometimes opposing ideas, and we're constantly all conversing about them. I guess what I mean is, if I can't convince her, or if I can't convince Eric, how am I going to convince the rest of the world? That's that's I think that's the approach I'm looking at. Convince what? Convince them of a well-rounded perspective. Okay. Right? I mean it's not like convince is such a tight rope to walk because that sounds so subjective, but that's that's not what I'm going with that. It's like convince them that we've we've done enough due diligence to portray something in a way that's fair, right and true to our best of our knowledge. The thing is, everybody's bias. And that that bias nature comes from being emotionally compromised in one way or another. And so us removing ourselves from that, we can see a picture where we can come back into it and explain it a little better. How do you all remove yourselves from it? I mean, I'd, in some regards, us having differences of opinions kind of as our I mean we are are, like our moral foundations and our political understandings are all different so I would say for me my answer to that is more because we're coming from different vantage points our ability to check each other and to make sure that within our team we're able to see the differences of opinion and not 
feel the weight of all of it at once, but to be able to kind of be sort of representative of different parts is really useful. And I mean, one thing that I told Lila from the from the beginning is I I don't have time to be politically correct. And I also don't have a filter. But then that's how we all work. The three of us. And then I, I, but that's also kind of where I can come in because I can allow him to be in that space. And then when I realize that he's saying something that's just, that's politically incorrect, that isn't coming out the way that I know he's trying to say it, I can kind of correct and I can decipher what he's actually meaning or when or when someone's saying something to him that he's not understanding i can kind of break down those those bits of communication because i communicate in a, in a different way and and that's 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 a great example of the trust between a director and a producer i think that comes into play i think that's a, that's i think that's one of the best examples we can give of our dynamic mm-hmm. you know that that makes us work is it possible that after all of the research and interviews and everything that you've done, the objective conclusion that you come to is that there is no solution. If that is the case, would you still move forward with the documentary? So let me ask you this. Isn't that a sad thing? Oh, it's very. If how I deal with that is portraying it in a way where we show it. Like I'm not about changing people's minds. Mm-hmm. We want to bring them to the cliff and let them jump if they want to jump. That's being objective. And on one end, if it's a sad state of affairs, we want to leave people with that emptiness that I feel or she feels. Or like as a director, whatever feeling I have in the end mm-hmm. of combining all of this is what I would leave everybody else with, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's a help nature of helplessness or whatever and through that helplessness, mm-hmm. people try to be better. People try maybe to reach out to the other side better. And that's all we can do. That's so the best we can do. If the conclusion after everything that you do... Is a dire situation. Is a dire situation. Then that's what we show. Then that's what we show. Okay, so you would still move forward with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, otherwise, it's obje- otherwise it becomes subjective, right? Yeah, that, that, that was my point, yeah. And when I say dire situation... I mean like a dire situation for which there is no solution. Not yeah. like a dire situation like we need to do this and we need to do no, this and absolutely. this and this and this. It's like, no, no, no. Actually, 40% of America is too far gone. That's why I and said... And I have no idea how we're going to get rid of these people. If it's a sad state of affairs, we show that sad state of affairs and leave it at that. Uh, last question for the seven questions. Uh, how much longer do you plan on filming? And are there any cities that you have on the list to stop and uh, interview people? I, I think... I think, from protests? I think in terms of interviewing... We want to do justice to like predominantly black neighborhoods on in historic cities: New York, Chicago, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, where we can get. We don't want to just go to a city just for the sake of going to a city, but we wanna we wanna talk about those neighborhoods that really tell the story of America and the history of the black community. Okay. It's also it's really important for us to get that in comparison to Portland because this is in some ways it's been sort of the epicenter of this fight in this in this last year. But also if you look at the demographics, Portland is is largely white, and so it's it it has some relevance in this discussion. But it's it's not the only story, and it, and to ignore those other neighborhoods would be overlooking an, a huge. Um, wealth of knowledge on this okay as you'd mentioned about the black historic neighborhoods that you want to visit um, 
what's the connection between that and the protest? It's it's more to do with the history. Okay. But also, I mean, the history, but also also the um, experience. Yeah, the the experiences of of black people living. I mean, we've we've interviewed black people living in Portland, but also black people in other communities. Because to talk about, I mean, if we're if Black Lives Matter is not the only thing that we're talking about here, but if it's a topic that we that we are spending a lot of time on to just listen to a majority of white voices in this one city is ignoring a lot of the black voice. And so that, that would be the reason on top of looking into the history. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, this is great. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. I know we've had conversations while you've been here, but um, this is really a good chance for me to ask some of the questions that have been on my mind since you've been here. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're not stuff we've talked about at the same time. Like, I like being put on the spot and then like letting our honest answers come out, you know, like badly through. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready for the seven questions? Yeah. All right. What's no. it called, y'all? It's the questions. It's the questions, boy. It's the questions. It's the questions. Yeah. Question number one: What is the book that you would add to the library? And for time's sake, we'll just have you guys uh, collaborate, director and producer, to come up with one answer for each. I'm just gonna say. The Righteous Mind, and I know what she's going to say. Well, The Righteous Mind was mine. Yeah. Okay. The Righteous Mind. By Jonathan Haidt. Okay. Haidt. Haidt. H-A-I-D-T. Haidt. Why'd you choose this one? So, this book talks a lot about the moral foundations theory, and it talks about how... talks about morality kind of in the sense of morality being different taste receptors. So, it, it articulates six different moral taste receptors and when you start to look at it in those terms it's split pretty evenly across political lines and so you start to you start to realize like in in these conversations that we're seeing happen where everyone feels like they're morally right and they they can't understand why the other one can't hear them when you start to break down those moral foundations it becomes a lot more clear and it pretty clearly shows the difference between people that lean to the left and people that lean to the right. And so it provides a completely different way of understanding why, why we have such a hard time communicating to each other and where that disconnect is. And it's, it's completely opened my mind. Everyone that I've, I mean, I've made my team read it. Um, and I've also recommended it to quite a few people and everyone that I've recommended it to is since recommended it. That's what we like for the library. Yeah, it's it's become a um, a handbook of mine. All right. Uh, according to Wikipedia, full title is The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. It's from 2012, social psychology book, in which the author describes human morality as it relates to politics and religion. So, yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Number two, podcast to subscribe. Um, I'm going to just... I'm going to say one that is just really light because it's been something that I really just enjoy and it's not uh, not heavy like the other things that we're dealing with, but the Honeymooning Podcast. Okay. Tell me about the it. The Honeymooning Podcast. It's Moshe Kasher and Natasha Legero. They're both comedians and they're married and they have a podcast where they give people relationship advice. They're not counselors or anything, but they actually have surprisingly intuitive uh, advice and really compassionate advice, but at the same time they kind of roast people. So it's it's sort of my my guilty pleasure. Um, Do they bring guests on that 
have like marital issues so they they have people that call in and they also have a secrets hotline and then sometimes they'll call um different comedians and the comedian will kind of guest spot and like help them give advice um and they yeah they they i can't remember if i mentioned it but they have a a secret dump so people will call in with with secrets and then they kind of roast them for it but it's (laughs) it's surprisingly compassionate I do find good advice through it, and it's also just really comedic and and lighthearted. Is it kind of like Love Line a bit? A little bit. Okay, I'm assuming honeymooning is kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah, so that they they started the podcast after after they they got married, and I mean they both had their own separate projects, but the honeymoon podcast. The honeymoon podcast. Endless honeymoon. Okay. I the don't endless even know the honeymoon name. podcast. All right. There's another podcast with two uh, married comedians. Uh, the, your mom's house. I haven't heard of it. With um, man, feels multiple choice. I guess his name right, but yeah, it's called your mom's basement or your mom's house or something like that. Uh, it's also pretty funny, but I don't think they they focus on marital issues. They just have guests on and talk with them. Number three, something you didn't know that you needed until you got it. A good film producer. I'll go with that. All right. Do I get some brownie points? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he he spoon fed you that answer. So, number four, bucket list place to travel. Is there any place in the world that you have been to that you recommend listeners add to their bucket list? Japan. Okay. I've traveled throughout Japan. I it's 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 a completely different world. Oh yeah, it's you're peaceful, right. calm, and and disconnected in certain ways from the rest of the world. And so you have one city that you're going into. Where would you go? I'd go to Tokyo. Okay. So you're going to the Olympics next year? I mean, I don't even know if I'll have time. <laughs> I really do hope the Olympics happens next year. I think that was missing this year. But it's interesting, though, right? Because that means that Donald Trump hasn't been a president mm-hmm. presiding over an Olympics, which is crazy. <laughs> That is weird. I hadn't thought about that before. All right. Interesting. Number five, 50 mile detour restaurant. Uh, any place in the world, uh, if you're within 50 miles of this restaurant, you go out of your way just to eat there. There's this Indian place called Curry Corner in Seattle. So it's Seattle, uh, like maybe like um, 25 miles off of Seattle. And uh, Portland, it's like two and a half hours to Seattle, right? So whenever we come back from Seattle, we used to get food saying oh this is for us and this is for my mom my parents and just bring <laughs> that much food back home because it tastes really good is this a carry out or a sit down it's a sit down carry out it's a small hole in the wall indian restaurant that's just well known around washington for so, really good so in food. this scenario are you bringing the food home for for your mom or are you just saying that to order <laughs> more food it's just, like just to be clear it's like a toast right i'll drink to you <laughs> You know what I mean? I'll eat some Indian food for you. Yeah, that kind of thing. I like it. What's so the it's dish? that good. <laughs> right? What's the dish you get? I get the korma. How do you spell that? Chicken korma. K-O-R-M-A. What is chicken korma if you can... It's made in a... It. It's made in this like ground cashew sauce. Ooh. It's thick and creamy and delicious. Spicy? Depends on if you want spice. You like spice? I do. Yeah. I can't do spice too much. I mean, I like it as a, I like it as a cameo. Yeah. Not, not even a supporting character. I just wanted to come by and, you know, be like, What's hey, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm gone. 
I lived in Thailand for seven months, and they assumed that foreigners couldn't eat spicy food. So it was one of the first phrases that I had to learn in Thai was how to tell them, "No, I do, I do like spicy food." Oh, you like the spicy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm wondering. Did you have a lot of spicy food growing up? Um, I I did have a fair amount. Mm-hmm. The the religion that my parents are a part of is an Indian religion, so okay. I, did, I I grew up eating a lot of um a lot of spices. I still think my tolerance for spice probably surpasses my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure why that is. I've always wondered if that has to do with because you've had it so much at a young age, as your body's developing, you kind of have a more numb inside mm-hmm. of your mouth. The the nature and nurture question. Yeah. Like if, you, if I have a speaker playing in my ear for an extended period of time, it's going to mess with my hearing and I'm going to need to turn up the volume just to hear it. Is the same thing happening with spice? I mean, I think that that it probably is, and I think that also, I mean, any any time if I'm if I've been eating a certain diet and I there's some sort of disruption from that, it could be spice, it could be something else, and this has happened a lot with me because I've traveled quite a bit. That can still be upsetting to your stomach. So, and I think that your stomach gets used to different bacteria, and I don't I don't know why spice would be any different. So, I think that there is something to be said for. If it's in your diet, your body learns how to adjust to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm sure there are aspects of it that are hereditary as well. I'm not sure, but spice spice has always been something that I like. But I don't I don't I'm not one of those people that's going to be eating a spicy wing or in a spicy wing contest or something like that because okay. I I'm flavor above yeah. above just like proving a point. Gotcha. Number six, your number one skill is your number one honed craft you've worked at the most i think for me it's more than more than anything just learning new skills okay this adaptability ah good word the pursuit of new skills how about you lena i i'm i guess Lilo, somewhat sorry. somewhat the same um adaptability in a lot of forms for me that looks like communication okay all right, last but not least, number seven, your number one talent is what you were born with, nature versus nurture. Um, I guess I would say artistic talent. Okay. I, like drawing? Yeah, drawing, painting. And this one? Um, I don't know. Do I, you? I can't answer this for you. I have no idea. I've more been leeching talents off of people <laughs> and, and, and situations than anything else. <laughs> um, we did have someone who said uh, his number one skill was uh, stealing other people's ideas. <laughs> that's me. That, yeah, that's totally. Totally. That's totally, Fisra. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a role of a director anyway. Okay. This is great, y'all. Do y'all have any uh, contact info, social media, website? Yeah. Do you want to um, share with the listeners? We we don't have a huge social media presence because we're so busy mm-hmm. um, and we haven't done our market, marketing side of it. But the best way to reach out to us is through our Instagram, mm-hmm. which is Spectral Inc. Films. That's S-P-E-K-T-R-A-L-I-N-K Films, F-I-L-M-S. And I don't believe there's a timetable on the, the doc, right? It, it should 
at least half of it should come out next next year. Oh, next year. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And it's going to be episodic. It is going to be episodic. Have you determined what platform people we, will be able to see it? We want to reach it out to the most people possible, and I think Netflix is a way to go. Okay. At the moment. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the Guest Podcast. As always, if you want to reach me, innkeeper at unionindc.com, and the website is a suffix, unionindc.com. And on Instagram, got three handles at guestbookpod for the podcast, at unionindc for the end, and at innkeeperfreddy, which is my personal. Leela, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. I saw I, mean, I saw a drawing the other day that was a bunch of people from all over the, the spectrum, and the two people in the middle were kind of ignorantly hugging and saying like, "Can't we all just get along?" And it's the I don't I don't think about it in that sense. I don't think I don't my my wish is not for everyone to just stop complaining and be friends when there's there's some there's some very very real hurt, and these issues are you can't sweep things under the rug. Yeah, it's it's not yeah. that's not the place that I want to get to at all um but i i heard it articulated recently um someone was talking about us as americans and the truth is we we are all americans and we have a shared history and the way that you think of like a brother or a sister and it might be a brother or a sister that you've had a tumultuous relationship with and maybe you don't get along maybe you don't talk there's all sorts of different ways that that relationship can go but at the same time our our futures, our histories are connected and our futures are connected as well. And so that's the way that I think about it because I see this divide happening and it's very present and it's affecting us all and it will continue to. And so we're looking there.